Live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon to you and yours. Go back 32 years today, June 8th, 1991, the day the decade of excellence began. LSU began a remarkable run of five college World Series titles in 10 years by capturing the 1991 National Championship with a 6-3 win over Wichita State on this day, June 8th, back in 1991. We'll preview LSU's attempt to get back to Omaha as Kentucky comes to town. Matthew Bruni will join us today. We'll talk all things NFL with the Schwab. Um, The Belmont Stakes, will they have it this Saturday? Those fires in Canada canceling everything. Belmont Park, no racing today. Uh, baseball games being canceled. NFL OTAs being moved indoors. Saturday is in peril in New York. These stories and much, much more coming your way today. It's going to be a fun show, fast-filled, fun, and entertaining, I hope. Certainly informative. As my main man, James Mesh, in the producer's chair in the EVCO Development Studios, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which is where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming all over the world, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you happen to be in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. Uh, Only eight times in the award history, known as the Golden Spikes Award, has a school boasted more than one player as a finalist. And it's only the second time that LSU has accomplished the feat. The other time was 29 years ago in 1994 when Russ Johnson and Todd Walker, friend of the program, were finalists. Well, add another one because Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz are two of the final three for the 2023 Golden Spikes Award by USA Baseball, along with Florida two-way player Jacques Paglioni. So good luck to them in that regard. Also today, those same two, junior center fielder Dylan Cruz, junior right-handed pitcher Paul Skeens, two of the five finalists for the 2023 Dick Hauser Trophy. The National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association and the Dick Hauser Trophy Committee uh, named the finalists for the 36th Dick Hauser Trophy awarded national annually to the National Player of the Year. Only one LSU player in its history has won the Dick Hauser Trophy. That was back in 1998 when LSU first baseman Eddie 
Hernis won the award after leading the Tigers to a third straight college World Series appearance. The 2023 winner will be announced Thursday, June 15th on the MLB Network. So they're going to win. One's going to win one. One's going to win it. Their LSU is going to be well, well represented in this one. We'll hear from John Hale, who covers the Kentucky Wildcats um, baseball team, kind of the dink and dunk kind of a team, like in football, or a team that um, runs the clock and gets it inside the paint, doesn't shoot many three balls, doesn't hit many home runs, but they just just keep on chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. We'll get a scouting report on them. 87 days till the start of the LSU football season. Just saying, just saying. Meanwhile, congrats to LSU's latest NCAA champion, Zerdiel Pedigo of men's track and field. Pedigo earned the title for the second time yesterday with a new LSU record of 79.79 meters in the javelin throw during the first day of the NCAA Outdoor Championships in Austin. Zuriel was winning the javelin title, the men's 4-by-100-meter relay team, consisting of Brandon Hicklin, Dorian Camel, Demarcus Fleming, and Gotson Oginabrume, recorded the fastest qualifying time in collegiate history with 38 0.06 seconds. That's literally flying. The meet continues through Saturday morning. LSU's men's team holds 13 entries on the men's side, which is second most in the nation behind Arkansas. Likewise, the women are in contention for a championship as well. They hold 11 entries across eight events. They entered the meet ranked seventh after starting the season first. So LSU track and field still going, going, going. Um, LSU has a lot of uh, great players, a lot of great ones, including the number one in the world ranked women's amateur golfer. Ingrid Lindblad holds that prestigious honor, number one in the world of amateur golf. The senior, native of Sweden, moved up to number one when American Rose Zhang turned professional after winning last month's NCAA championship. So congratulations to Ingrid Lindblad. Um, Lindblad still considering an option, whether to return or to go to the pros. Well, we, we will see uh, along those lines. It was double-double uh, trouble as Denver moved down to Miami and the Nuggets win game three. 109-94 behind the double-doubles, triple-doubles, rather, of Nikola Jokic with 32 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists to go along with his backcourt mate, Jamal Murray, who had 34 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. The Nuggets, too good. Christian Brown off the bench with 15 points in 19 minutes. And uh, the Nuggets... After a 24-24 first quarter tie, took a five-point lead at the half, increased that to 14 after three before winning it by 15. 109-94, Denver over Miami. Two games to one lead now by the Nuggets. Um, we've got game four coming up 
tomorrow in Miami. So there you have that. Um, so many things going on, so many things to talk about. Um, Brian Kelly is in Washington, D.C. That's right. He's in Washington, D.C. Because along with Nick Saban, along with LSU Athletic Director Scott Woodward, Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne, and President Stuart Bell of Alabama, they're meeting with Majority Leader Steve Scalise, according to Sports Illustrated. Um, meeting with the power broker who will have legitimate sway over any federal legislation aimed at name, image, and likeness. The hope is to have a productive conversation about the future of college athletes and NIL regulations. For more than a year now, conference commissioners and coaches have called on Capitol Hill to enact legislation for NIL oversight. Meanwhile, the NCAA has yet to fully enforce its NIL policies. College athletics governing body does not have subpoena power and has been lobbying for an antitrust exemption for years. So we'll see what happens here. The SEC has taken over Capitol Hill and Brian Kelly and Scott Woodward are certainly a big part of that. All right, here's our guest list for the day. Matthew Bruni. Uh, he's been at all the press conferences. We hear the latest for LSU as they prepare for the Kentucky Wildcats. Frank Schwab on the latest in the NFL. That's our number one. Our number two, John Hale of the Lexington Herald Leader will join us, give us a Kentucky baseball scouting report. Michael Bakeshock on the uh, two days away from the what we hope will be the run for the Belmont Stakes. Forte will make its debut, or will it? Because of these uh, fires in Canada, Belmont Park shut down today. No racing. We'll see where that goes. And then we'll introduce you to another friend of the program, just been nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame, former LSU linebacker Brady James will join us. So there you have it. We're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We'll take our first time out. We'll delve into the Baton Rouge Super Regional with Matthew Bruni next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, the game wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Bay Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Bookshire AC, Lay Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Prior to 2021, uh, this would be the time of the year when college baseball players and high school baseball players are going through the MLB draft, right when teams are preparing for either 
uh, a super regional now, or back in the day, this is when the College World Series was taking place. And they, they'd be having the draft while games are going on and all that. But they have moved it to July, uh, basically two weeks after the College World Series. And that would have been um, quite the ordeal for LSU with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, Ty Floyd, Trey Morgan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have to worry about that. They can focus all their attention on the Kentucky Wildcats, which is what we're going to do now. We're focusing on LSU baseball. Matthew Bruni, kind enough to join us, my main man. He's at all the press conferences, doing everything. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Jordy. Uh, I was out there in the sun yesterday at the LSU uh, football camp, so hope I'm not too sunburned, but I'm doing well. Wow. Man, I bet you they got a ton of kids at those camps, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plenty. Uh, and uh, the funny thing is you only have to really focus on uh, about 20% of them because the rest of them, right. you know, paid their money to be there. And, you know, there's plenty that's of right. coaches of lower divisions as well. But, yeah. That's, that's where all those analysts get their money, get paid is, at the, is through those summer camps. So yep. um, that's in very important to them. Uh, not so much for Brian Kelly, who happens to be up in uh, in Washington, D.C., trying to help get legislation on NIL stuff. So LSU and Washington, man, with a women's basketball team, uh, Scott Woodward, Brian Kelly, they they uh, making some frequent flyer miles up to our capital. Yeah, they are um, certainly uh, staying busy. My president Tay was up there with the women's team as well. They're all uh, going yeah. up to the capital. All right, let's talk LSU baseball. You, you've been to the press conferences. You hear the lead up here. Um, what, what do you think the state of this program is right here, right now? Skeens goes nine innings, first time all year. The long ball is back and better than ever after the regional. Uh, and now Kentucky coming to town. Where, where do you feel this LSU baseball team is now? Yeah, I think they're in a great spot. Um, I think they're loaded with confidence to get through the mm-hmm. regional as easy as they did, um, obviously, to beat Oregon State twice after the two-lane game. Uh, I think really showed that not only are their pitchers ready, but you know the bats that have, have been good to them all year that were maybe down the stretch being like, all right, are they going to be as consistent as they need to be? I think they proved that they're ready as well. So, um you know, I think Tommy White will come back around, but at the end of the day, you have Dylan Cruz, Hayden Travinsky, all these guys, Joe Bear. I mean, everybody's playing really, really well right now and seeing things well. Um, obviously, Oregon State didn't have the pitching that they're going to see this weekend, but um, still, I think they ha- they feel really good about their bats. And obviously, the the biggest factor is their pitching, which now they feel good about after the way that they uh, put Oregon State away. Uh, were you surprised that Skeens pitched game one? And would you be surprised if Skeens did not pitch game one Saturday against Kentucky? Um, I I was surprised, but I think I said it. I told you last week, I, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Skeens yeah. uh, started game one because I just feel like anybody who's listened to Jay Johnson kind of knows how his mind operates. He is very much focused on the now, the present, and he kind of said that after the in the regional, he was like, we wanted to get Paul Skeens out there to settle everyone down, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, so I wasn't I wasn't as surprised as most people, I don't think, but uh, still, at the end of the day, I think 
Um, I mean, obviously it worked out with all the weather delays and everything like that. And then to answer your second question, I would be pretty surprised if he didn't start game one. But Ty Floyd is playing well. Maybe gives them a little bit of flexibility in that spot. Yeah, um, we shall see. There's not a there's not a hotter hitter around than uh, Travinsky, is there? My gosh. <laughs> No, not over the last 20 games, 25 games, whatever it is. I mean, he has just Man. been on a roll. I remember when this started, and it was like it didn't look like a fluke because he's so strong, and he it looks like he sees the ball well enough. And Jay Johnson kept talking about how, you know, he's just been hurt. And so we've when I saw him start to get hot, I was like, okay, is this this changes things for them with the Brady Neal injury. And obviously, Malazzo's gotten better, and he's a better defensive catcher, but. I mean, what Travinsky gives you at the plate to put him in the four hole or the five hole, I mean, that just changes the complexion of your offense. Yeah, I'm with you. Matthew Bernie, kind enough to join us. Um, I wonder, do you think, you know, very rarely does the NCAA like to put two teams from the same conference playing against one, or in the, uh, against one another in a super regional, but because so many SEC teams made the, the, the tournament, it just happens that way. Do you think that's an advantage or a disadvantage for an LSU? Kentucky's already been to the box. They've already experienced what it's like, uh, albeit it's not going to be at the same level as what's going to happen this weekend, I believe. Um, do you think that helps LSU, hurts LSU, makes no difference whatsoever? I, I think from a familiarity standpoint, being able to face Kentucky style helps LSU. Um, they are aware of how Kentucky likes to attack um, with their small ball style at, at the plate. I mean, with how they steal, how they bunt, how they move runners. I think that's a big advantage to having to play them because the rest of the SEC obviously doesn't play that way. So right. if you went through the whole SEC schedule and only played, you know, South Carolina and all these big boy hitting teams, you might be caught off guard a little bit by how Kentucky mm-hmm. Um, approaches things and how they move the ball. So uh, I think with having played them and having seen how they uh, operate, I think that's a big advantage defensively for LSU, who has been really, really solid on that side. Um, And then, obviously, whenever you face pitchers before, um, you know, you feel better about them the second time around. You have some stuff to go off of. Uh, Paul Skeens wasn't great in his outing against Kentucky, and Jay Johnson said, they were going to look at it and see how what they can do um, off of that. Hmm. I agree with you. I think the fact that um, Kentucky plays kind of that West Coast UCLA style from back in the day, where they, yeah, you know, it, um, it, it's like a football team, dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Um, I, I agree. I, I believe that benefits uh, LSU. Ty Floyd was doing terrific. Um, I thought Thatcher heard. Uh, you know, he gave up some runs and hits, but he, man, he ate up innings, um, and, and that's true. I guess everything is is irrelevant. If LSU's swinging the bats in the Super Regional like they did in the Regional, Kentucky's got no shot. Yeah, I think, and that, that's why I mentioned they're going to see better pitching this week than they did with Oregon State, obviously. I mean, Kentucky's mm-hmm. pitching is, is top tier. I mean, they're 17th in the country in ERA, 4th in the SEC, um, they they have a very deep staff. Jay Johnson mentioned the amount of guys that have thrown over like 40, 50 innings. So they have guys that they can throw out there. Uh, so that aspect of it is going to be, they're going to have to keep LSU down. I think that's, like you said, if LSU is able to rattle off 
10 runs, I think that they're in a good enough position pitching-wise to where they won't lose that game like they did when they played uh, earlier this year. So um, I am interested, though, if they do start Paul Keene's game one and obviously tie for game two. Um, you know, is Thatcher Hurd their day three starter for sure, or would he use Thatcher Hurd in a game two scenario to try to close the yeah. game out if they have one game one? It's a very interesting situation there um, with the with the pitching, uh, especially with Thatcher Hurd looking better. It would it would really be interesting if by some chance um, LSU, let's say LSU wins the first one with Skeens, and somehow some way. Ty Floyd gives you five innings. You bring in Thatcher Hurd to close it out, and unfortunately, Kentucky comes from behind and wins the thing. Now, who do you start in the one-game winner-take-all? That that would be intriguing to me. Yeah, that that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking about. That's why I brought it up initially was yeah. how they treat Game Two. I it's it's tough because they, then they said um, Jay, Jay Johnson was like, well, you know, we have David Coleman, Riley Cooper, all all these guys that they feel good about. And I think they could piece together a game three, but when you go into a game three, ideally you don't really want to have to piece it together because I think Kentucky at that point would have the starting pitching edge, so you'd have to kind of figure it out. But, yeah, it's it's a complicated puzzle, and that's why Jay Johnson, you know, makes the big bucks. There's only two teams that really were effective against Paul Skeens. That was Arkansas, who found success against him in the SEC tournament after it already faced him earlier in the year and the other is kentucky they, they got seven hits against Skeens, who still struck out 12 kentucky players but the wildcats recorded four earned runs against the best picture in college baseball so with that in mind what kind of adjustments do you think a paul Skeens and a wes johnson and a jake johnson come up with against um a team that doesn't hit the long ball but where they make contact yeah, it's it's funny because if you if you look at his start, obviously, like I said, Jay Johnson and Jay Johnson was like, you know, we'll go back and look at it and everything. But if you just look at it numerically, he did give up four runs, but he struck out thirteen batters. He only walked one, and I mean, in in theory, you're you're playing you're playing against you're throwing pitching against a Kentucky offense that makes contact, and he still struck out thirteen of them. Right. So it's that's true. I, I'm not too I'm not too worried, but obviously at the end of the day, if they get base runners on and they're able to move them over, then that's where some soft contact that can fly, you know, can get out to one of the outfields, can move runners and maybe bring a guy in. And uh, at the end of the day, if you expect to win every game, Paul Skeens pitches because there's, you know, they'll they'll hold them down to four or five runs at most, and the LSU offense on most days is good for seven or eight yeah i'm with you um matthew bruni with us one last thing before we go we're talking about pitching as i recall um kentucky uh they're starting pitching now they may they're, they're probably much better now than they were but man um in the three game series against lsu they walked kentucky walked 25 lsu batters they hit another 12 with pitches so the free bases allowed LSU to score seven more runs than they had hits through the series so that would tell me be patient at the plate and see what Kentucky's control issues are like yeah I it's funny I went back and looked at it the Kentucky series was weird from a Kentucky perspective because they didn't start 
their usual pitchers, at least the pitchers that are thriving right now, were not the pitchers that they started in those mm. in that series. So it'll be interesting because uh, I went back and looked at Zach Lee and Austin Strickland and Travis Smith. Those are the three guys that have started for them the past few weekends. And uh, it kind of looks like they figured out their rotation a bit um, and they figured out how they want to approach weekends. But I do think that they are a deep enough staff to where LSU is not going to if they get to the bullpen, it's obviously a win, but, you know, it's not the drop-off that Oregon State had. Gotcha. Very well said. Matthew Bruni, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. BengalTigerOn3.com. Thank you. Always great talking to you, my friend. Have a good weekend. Hopefully the weather will hold up and there won't be many rain delays because there's nothing worse than that. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Hope so. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy, you take care. Matthew Bruni joining us. Uh, we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll go around the NFL with the Schwab, Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Looking for great deals? Then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. There are plenty of two-for-one deals available right now. You can get a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. Every day is a Chamber of Commerce kind of day when you're listening to The Jordy Holberg Show. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Okay, welcome back. Thursday, June the 8th. It's um, always great to get our next guest, but uh, before we get to him, Fox Sports Big Noon Kickoff is preparing to part ways with Reggie Bush, according to the New York Post. And they've targeted another Heisman Trophy winning running back, former Alabama All-American, former New Orleans Saints, Mark Ingram, for the vacancy. All right, there you have it. Frank Schwab covers all things for Yahoo Sports, and he is a friend of our program, and we're so appreciative of it. He joins us now. Frank, good afternoon, sir. You know, here I thought you were going to finish that with Wisconsin's Ron Dane. I thought, you know, maybe they'd get my guy Ron in there, but, you know, no. Yeah. Mark Ingram, fine oh, choice, that, fine choice for that job. How'd you like to have to be a linebacker and try to tackle that dude running between the tackles? He was Ooh. a big man. I was there. Oh. My four years there were uh, Ron Dane's four years there, so I watched it <laughs> up close and personal. And, yeah, Damn. when – when he got that 260 pounds uh, going behind that huge offensive line, it was it was really, really fun to watch. Man, they gobble up some yards. All right, the big question is, who gets the best table in the restaurant without a reservation? Is it Sean Payton or is it Nikola Jokic? Oh, that's a good one. I, I think that uh, we're, give me two more wins for Denver in, in this NBA Finals, and it's probably the Joker because – I, you know, it's just weird. It's, you know, I'm not a Nuggets fan per se, but living here for 20 years, you know, I mean, the Nuggets just are, they've just had this history of being this kind of nothing NBA team. Like they're, they're they've been fun at times. They, you know, the Carmelo years in the eighties, they were really up and down, but it's mostly one of those sad sack franchises that you never, ever thought would win a championship. And then all of a sudden this second round pick from Serbia comes in and is absolutely just 
recognize. Like, I was watching last night. I actually went to Ball Arena for the watch party there, which was sold out with Nuggets fans, by the way. 18,000 people there to watch a game on a Jumbotron. And I'm just sitting there, and I felt bad for Bam Adebayo because there were plays where it's like, what else could he do? What else could Bam Adebayo possibly do on defense? He's just getting schooled by this guy who barely jumps off the ground. It's been really, really fun. But I'll tell you what, if Sean Payton could turn his Broncos team around, yeah, the Broncos are always going to be king here. And if he can... If he could turn things around, uh, yeah, the, the answer uh, over time will be Sean Payton. I got you. But you put Jokic in. If Jamal Murray keeps playing like that, they, they, Miami's got no shot. They can't score yep. as many points as Denver. Denver's going to win this thing unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, I, I go back a long way. I go back to when Doug Moe was coaching the Nuggets, and they had oh, sure, Dan Issel yeah. and Alex English, and they must have scored 150 points a game. It was just ridiculous. Uh, they didn't win, but, man, they, they were entertaining, big guy. They were very entertaining. All right, speaking hey, of entertaining. Hey, by the way, if you're, what, if you're, gonna be, going, if you're not going to be a winning team, at least be an exciting team. Absolutely. They put people in the seats. Why is Minnesota letting Dalvin Cook go? I thought he was really good. What's happening here? Yeah, I think it's kind of a few things. $10 million salary is probably number one on that list, and everything else is kind of whatever. I think that they just think that the running back aging curve is probably going to hit soon. They they trust Alexander Madison, their backup who they re-signed in the off season. And but it is weird. Like I, you know, a team that went whether it's fluky or not, they went thirteen and four last year, and yeah. they should come back thinking, hey, we're going to win the division again. All this kind of stuff, and for them in in kind of early June to just make a well, it's got it's just cost cutting. That's all it is. It's just. It's just we don't want to pay this guy $10 million. And I kind of get that on one hand. But on the other, it's like, well, you're taking away a guy who could really contribute to another division title. I don't know. I could win a division again. Why not? I don't. Again, they were they were a bit fluky last year. But who else in that division is great, especially if Detroit takes a step back from their hot finish last year. So I was surprised. But, uh, you know, I, I still think Dalvin Cook has a good year or two left. And I think Miami, maybe Denver, whatever team is going to land him is going to end up being pretty happy with the results this season. Somebody who feels like they got a shot to go a long way in the playoffs is going to take him. And you mentioned the two teams who apparently are the front runners for Dalvin Cook. Which one seems do you think is more appealing to him? Uh, Miami with Tua or Denver with Russell Wilson? It kind of depends on what he wants at this point in his career. I think Denver would be a little more uh, desperate to get him, probably pay a little more. But if you were like, I just want to go win, you know, he might be at that point in his career, then I think Miami is a, a, a lot more attractive. I, you look at this Miami roster, and it's really good. It's hey, good. Tua can stay healthy. They could really, I don't want to be even say a surprise because they're a playoff team last year, but they could they could really take the next step forward. So I think for Dalvin, he's going to look at, you know, I mean, what you know, what schemes fit and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it really does come down to how much do I want to win and, and how much am I willing to sacrifice to win? I mean, the Broncos might pay him another million or two more. and yeah. I have no qualms if he goes for that. I mean, who, who? not many among us wouldn't want an extra million or two. But I think that maybe he's to the point of, I just want to play for a Super Bowl team, and then the answer is pretty easy. Yeah, Miami. I mean, that makes that division. Who, the Bills, I mean, they're good. You, you got the acquisition yeah. for the Jets, and now you got the Dolphins and the Patriots. I mean, you're always buying stock in the Patriots. 
Um, man, how do you handicap that division? Really tough. And, you know, I mean, early on in this offseason, I was all about the Jets, and I probably got caught up in the excitement. You know, I mean, you know, whoa, we had Aaron Rodgers to this team. But the more I've thought about it, I think we're just kind of underestimating the Bills. I, the Bills are still the yes. same team that was looked like the NFL's best team for a lot of last season. Uh, they had a bad, bad day in the playoffs against a really good Bengals team. But that doesn't mean they're not That's good. Right. They... they They've been able to, to kind of keep most of their roster together. Didn't have a great offseason because, you know, you're kind of strapped for cap space with Josh Allen's contract and all that. But this was a team that was among the, the two or three best offenses and two or three best defenses last year. Had a really, really bad game in the playoffs. That happened. Uh, but that's our. That, I think that's clouding our vision of who the Bills really are. They're a good football team. And I might have even overlooked them in some of my, you know, writing some of the stuff very uh, excitedly about the Jets this offseason. The Bills are still there. And Miami, I, Miami could beat be both of them. It wouldn't surprise me at all. The Patriots are just kind of stuck. And the Patriots aren't a bad team. Everybody thinks the Patriots are a bad team, but their defense is really, really good. Their offense is going to be better with Bill O'Brien. But it's almost like, how could you not pick them to finish last place? I, it's, it, it, but they're going to be one of those last place teams that's like 8 and 9, 9 and 8. They're not going to be a, you know, the, the Houston Texans or anything like that. So, yeah, really, really tough division. But I think I'm going to go with the, and, and I'm going to end up going with the Bills just because. I think we're looking at the shiny new toys everywhere else and forgetting that, hey, for the last two or three years, the Bills have been a really, really quality football team. They are uh, a, a really good team. There's no question. They, they're going to build a brand-new uh, facility down the road for like $1.5 billion. Yeah. My goodness gracious. how whew, Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know how you handicap that one. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on Cleveland. And Deshaun Watson, does Cleveland make a quantum? Because before all that stuff off the field occurred, and man, everybody was singing the praises of Deshaun Watson and how good he is. Yeah. Okay, so he's missed time and all this. Now he's that's kind of sort of behind him in a sort of way, and now he can focus on. Fo Do you expect Cleveland to make a big leap? They could. I mean, it's there for them. I, I do have a few questions about Watson because honestly he was terrible last year. He really was yes. not a good quarterback. You know, a few flashes, yes. but I, let's remove the off-field stuff for a second because you can't really talk about Deshaun Watson without getting into all that, but I don't want to, right? I, I We've right. discussed it. We know it. Everybody knows it out there. So let's just talk about him as a quarterback. And I'm not making, he, he dug his own hole here, so I'm not, I'm not having much sympathy for him, but last look at what happened last year to him. He gets traded. He gets this massive contract. And he's switching teams, which is already tough enough. They say, basically, you can't play in the preseason. You can't play in the first seven weeks. But you can rejoin this team in late October. Brand new scheme. Brand new coach. Brand new teammates. With all of this other stuff that he's been talking about for months and months and months that has nothing to do with football, that is about as tough of an offseason as you can have, honestly. Like, it's, it was, there was no way Deshaun Watson was going to play great football last year. It just it was impossible. It's just an impossible spot he was in. Again, all of his own doing, so, you know, no sympathy. But you look at this offseason. Nobody's really talking about him off the field anymore. He doesn't have to answer these questions every single day. Nothing new has come up. Nothing like that. He's not even really talking about his contract anymore. He's just kind of adding a, a quote-unquote normal offseason. He's understanding Kevin Stefanski's scheme better. They got better around him on offense. They, yeah. He's really in a position where, unless the rust of a year off, a year and a half off, really, took a lot out of him. And it might. We saw with Le'Veon Bell. It's not apples to apples because different positions. But taking a year off of football is hard. I mean, it's 
you're not guaranteed to get it all back. But if I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen with him, I think he just kind of picks up where he left off and is a top ten quarterback of the league again. I, accounting for the fact that he wasn't very good last year, I still think he has that in him. And then you look at the Browns; he got Nick Chubb's a great running back, great offensive line, yeah. Mari Cooper yeah. and uh, and Elijah Moore, yeah. good receivers. The defense should be better. Yeah. I mean, they've added there. So, uh, yeah, the Browns are one of those teams where if we look up and they're thirteen and four at the end of the year, it's like, well, okay, we we could have seen that coming because all these pieces were in place. Speaking of health, uh, Michael Thomas has only played in 10 games over the last three seasons for the New Orleans Saints, but he said, and the, and the Saints staff said he will be ready day one of Saints training camp. He's got a bromance going with Derek Carr and vice versa. Uh, you combine a healthy Michael Thomas with um, the league's one of the league's best rookie wideouts from last season in Chris Olave, the really emergence of Rashid Shahid. What does a mm-hmm. healthy Michael Thomas do to Frank Schwab and his thoughts about the New Orleans Saints this season? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned Shahid, too, because he's a fun player. I, I don't think he's getting talked yeah. about enough. He's good. I, I You look yes. at his numbers last year, and it's like, wow, it jumps off the page. He brings a speed element along with Olave that, that, that's hard to defend. Thomas, I don't. I just don't know what to make of it anymore. If you would have told me the year he won Offensive Player of the Year, uh, you know, what, what's his career path? Is he going to? I said, well, he probably got shot the Hall of Fame, and yeah. nothing, nothing has gone right for him since then. It's just been soap opera, injuries, yeah. another soap opera, more drama. It's, it's just been crazy to watch his career kind of unravel. And we talked about, you know, Deshaun Watson missing a year or whatever. Basically, Michael yeah. Thomas missed three years. I, I, yeah. He barely played, as yeah. you pointed out. What does he have? Like, I have no idea. If Michael Thomas comes back and he has 120 catches this year and looks like a pro bowler, I wouldn't be surprised. We've seen it before. If he plays three games again this season, I wouldn't be surprised. The range of outcomes is massive. And and he could say he feels healthy, but everybody says that this time of year. It's just whether you're going to hold up. I think we're going to get a good, not great Michael Thomas. I think Chris Olave is going to be their best receiver. He was a stud last year. They gave up too much maybe for him, but, man, he was good. So I think Michael Thomas kind of slots into that boring veteran type of role in his career now where I don't think he's ever going to recapture anything close to what he was was four years ago. But he can still be solid. He can still be a good contributor. Really, unlike the other two receivers we talked about already, he does different things. So he could be a a good fit for the offense, but maybe not get back to that all-pro type of status. I'm not calling him the next Pat Mahomes, but Caleb Williams from USC certainly appears to do things kind of in a similar fashion he returns as the Heisman Trophy winner for USC. Are teams going to be tanking, uh, canning it for Caleb? I, I really, yeah, I, I I could see it happening. But the wild card here is the Arizona Cardinals are the worst team in football, and they have the they have two first round picks. It might be one and two in the draft. You might tank all season and still not get past the Arizona Cardinals. I, I mean, I'm working on my previews. My team previews start. June twentieth, one per day, and okay. I count them down. And, and no surprise that Arizona's number thirty-two. And when I really dug into them and wrote that preview up, I was I was actually stunned at how bad they are. They just have nothing yeah. left. I, I, they're a really bad football team this year. And even if they're okay and kind of stumble into some wins against the Rams or whoever, the Houston Texans might be the worst team in football. <laughs> it is amazing to me that they got their pick and. I think Arizona, if you ask them at a truthful moment behind the scenes, never going to get shared again, they would say our dream scenario this year is to be the worst team in football, 
get Caleb Williams number one, get Marvin Harrison Jr. number two, and we're off on a brand new era of our, our franchise. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think. But if look, if if Arizona and Houston are a little bit better than we think, and it's late in the year. Uh, teams don't tank. We, we, uh, the Jets should have been tanking, and they didn't, and they got Zach Wilson instead of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it just doesn't happen, but from an organizational standpoint, you're just sitting there praying. If you're, if you've right. got a chance at the number one pick next year, you're praying for losses because you really, really want Caleb Williams. I think there's a very high probability he's a, a special quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, golly sakes alive. Uh, all right, what else is what else is piquing uh, Frank Schwab's interest these days? You know, it's one of those weird times in the NFL. But the, I think the main the main shoe that has to drop until the, you know Dalvin Cook is going to be one of those too. But the DeAndre Hopkins thing is really yeah, interesting to me. Going? Where does he go? I mean, there, any team. I, there's very few teams that couldn't use the DeAndre Hopkins. Some teams just don't have the cap for it. They they weren't you know, kind of saving up for it. So you're hearing all these weird suitors of DeAndre Hopkins talking about, oh, hey, maybe I'll go back to Houston. Maybe I'll go to Tennessee. And you do wonder. Look, guys have different motivations for whatever they want to do in their careers. And I'm not in their heads. I'm not in their hearts. I don't know what they want. But it does stun me that at this point, DeAndre Hopkins' career, that he would want to go to Tennessee. Why? Don't you want to go – Take, take less money to go to Buffalo. Take less money to go to Kansas City. Yes. But I, yes. yeah, I don't get it. I, I mean, and maybe look, it's it's easy for me to say. Like, I'm not. It's not me who's making these multi-million dollar right. decisions, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know if it put in a similar position what I would do. But just from the outside looking in, you say, man, DeAndre, you've got a couple good years left. Probably, I think he's 31 this year, maybe 30, and you got a couple good years of prime football left. Go get, go chase a ring. Go go try to really yeah. you know stamp your legacy with a Super Bowl. You can maybe do that in Kansas City or Buffalo or wherever. I you know Philadelphia. I don't think Philly would would really be in on him, but you know what I mean. Like a team like that where you could just you, you could you have all the cards right now. And I don't know where he goes, but I think he's he was good enough last year. He's not the same guy he was in Houston anymore, but. He's good enough that he really tips the he really tips the field for somebody a team yeah. a, a team like Cleveland. Cleveland's a great example. Cleveland right yeah. now we're talking about ah oh, yeah maybe they're going to be good. If you have DeAndre Hopkins that receiver room, all of a sudden we're thinking about oh this Cleveland team all of a sudden looks really really good on paper. He he would make a big difference for them, and I honestly think that that would be a great fit for him. I'd like to see him go there, but I couldn't tell. Like usually I have a good I you know good guess. The guess isn't always right, but yeah. you have a good guess. I could not tell you with any level of confidence where DeAndre Hopkins goes because this whole free agent uh, tour he's been on has just been strange to me. Yeah, I think every team in the in the league would take him. Uh, it's just what is he? That the whole key you just hit the nail on the head. What does he really want? Is he out there for the yeah. money, or is he out there to try and get a championship? And only only DeAndre in a perfect world he would get both. Uh, but it's never a perfect world, Frank. It's just not until we exactly. get you on our show. Then it's a perfect world. All right. <laughs> Always fun. Always fun. <laughs> All right, Frank. Um, Nugget's going to win this thing, but thank you for your time as always, man. Have a great rest of your week. Absolutely, Jordy. I appreciate you. You're the best. Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one. And we got a busy hour number two. We'll tell you all about it next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
and some of our partners, ShopRite, Tobacco Plus, Discount Outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, damn gummit, you just can't shop right at all. Hi, Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. Eon, the premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches along with permanent fat reduction. Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville. By the Louisiana Lottery, so many chances to win, but you can't win until you start playing. DC's little capital Exxon. So many goods and products under their roof, including their true soul food deli. Best cheeseburger I've ever had. Hands down. And by Cajun Chef. Do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Don't agree with what Jordy has to say? Not to worry. He's always open to a healthy debate. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that Actually, question. Actually, I'd like to jump in and take that one, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Have at it, Hoss. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111. Now back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, uh, quick close here as I went a little bit long with uh, Frank Schwab, but I like doing that anyway. Uh, We'll talk Kentucky baseball with John Hale in hour number two. Will there be a Belmont Stakes run Saturday? Michael Bakeshock will share his thoughts on that one, and we'll introduce you again to Brady James, who is uh, up for contention for the College Football Hall of Fame. It's all coming your way. Hour number two, the Jordy Helper Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champs, the Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone, it's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two and away we go with my main man, James Mesh, uh, on this Thursday, June 8th, the year 2023. Saturday at 2 o'clock will be the start of the Super Regional. But first, um, you can find us um, inside the EPCO Development Studios. EPCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which is where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, everywhere in the state of Louisiana and around the world uh, as we are streaming on 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, and If you're in the Acadiana area, you can turn your television set on because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. LSU needs two wins to go back to a place that they feel very comfortable in after winning all the national championship that they have in Omaha. Meanwhile, Kentucky needs two wins to reach the College World Series for the first time in program history. Joining us to give us a, a primer on the Wildcats is John Hale from the Lexington Herald Leader, and we welcome him on board. Thank you so much, John, for your time, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm terrific. I think of basketball. I think of bourbon. I think of horse racing. I don't think of baseball with Kentucky, but, boy, you guys are good. 
It's interesting. Um, locally, the state has probably produced more high-level baseball players in the last 10 years than football or basketball. But, you know, obviously the the, the college success of that sport is yeah. still uh, – has not been there for Kentucky. Louisville's been really good the last you know decade, but Kentucky has yeah. – just playing in the second Super Regional ever in their program. The first was in 2017, Nick Mingione's first year as a head coach. But even since then, they've struggled a lot. They had not been back to the tournament since then. So uh, it's a little bit of a pleasant surprise, but he he seems to have found a recipe that works. I wonder how you stand on this, because I'm going to take the approach that I think the fact that both of these teams played one another earlier benefits both teams. One... Uh, Kentucky played in front of a, a big crowd and showed that they could hang in there. Yeah, they lost two out of three, but um, they outscored after the first game. Uh, they outscored LSU 24 to 19. So they were right there in it. They got used to the big crowds, but I also think it benefits LSU because Kentucky plays a different style of baseball than most other teams. They're the, you know, they're going to bunt, they're going to uh, send base runners and all that. Do you agree with my assessment there? Yeah, definitely, and and obviously there are caveats to both sides. I mean, uh, the teams, it, I think there are positives from that series, but also both teams, I'm sure, have changed quite a bit. For instance, Kentucky's weekend rotation looks pretty much exact, looks very different than it did in that LSU yeah. series now with some guys right. who are pitching much better and some guys who were struggling then that aren't really part of the game plan anymore. Uh, the thing for Kentucky, you know, they've talked all week about that first game, that Thursday game in Baton Rouge, not being prepared for the environment and how they adjusted, you know, eased into it after there. But we know that it's going to be even more intense this weekend. I mean, with the stakes yes. going on, uh, it's going to be ratcheted up to another level. The pressure is going to be there in a way it wasn't the last time they were there. So it helps for sure, but it's going to be a unique challenge in its own way. So I think both teams can definitely take positives from it, but I'm not sure that we can say one way or the other that because of X, Y, and Z in that first series, we know what's going to happen this weekend. You mentioned um, the three starters uh, that will come to Baton Rouge didn't start any games in that April series at LSU. Tell me about what's, what happened and how did Travis Smith, Zach Lee, and Austin Strickland emerge for the Wildcats? Well, you, you talked about all the things offensively that Kentucky does differently than most teams. They definitely play the small ball approach and bunt and hit and run and steal bases and all those things. But on the pitching side, um, it's funny because that the offense seems, you know, uh, uh, from a team of yesteryear or whatever, you know, especially at the major league level, things we don't see anymore. But the pitching side, they've really kind of embraced uh, the most progressive use of their pitching staff that uh, we see teams like the Tampa Bay Rays do with, you know, emphasizing their bullpen. So while those three guys are definitely uh, their top three starters right now, um, the guys they have in the bullpen might be just as important this weekend. So they've, they've just found a balance to where they have probably five or six guys that they're comfortable throwing anywhere from three to six innings and how they mix and match on the weekend, uh, you know, varies from, from time to time. Travis Smith has been their Friday starter since for, for most of the last month and a half. He was their when they played at LSU the last time he was their Tuesday guy. So he didn't pitch at all in that series. He's probably the most talented pitcher, just stuff-wise. He's a redshirt freshman. He missed all of last year uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery. So I think just getting healthy and building up his endurance, learning the challenge of facing college hitters has been really positive for him. But he's a redshirt freshman, so at times he's been really, really good. He was good in the 
game one against um, Ball State in a regional, but he only pitched four innings. And then at times in the SEC, when they put him in those weekend series, you know, he struggled a little bit. So I don't really know what you're going to get from him. I think he, he might be a situation where you hope if you get three or four innings and it's a, still a game, uh, then you hand it over to the bullpen and they have guys like Mason Moore and Darren Williams who are relievers that are going to go three-plus innings and just piecemeal it that way together. The other two starters – Exactly has been in the rotation for most of the weekend, but he did not start in that LSU series for whatever reason and had his wor- maybe his worst outing of his of the season out of the ten on I think the second game of that series. He's been pretty steady overall. Pitched really well in the regional, then gave up a late home run that made his line look much worse than it actually was. And, and maybe the biggest wild card for Kentucky going into this weekend is Austin Strickland. He, he frankly just wasn't very good for most of the season. Uh, was a reliever they didn't use in high leverage spots, and then the last. Three weeks, they moved him into the rotation. He, his first start of the season was at uh, number two, or was home against number two Florida. Posted a quality start uh, in that game, and then in an elimination game against West Virginia, the regional pitched six shutout innings. So he's just found a different year um, the last yeah. three weeks, and we'll see if that stands up against the team as as quality as LSU with the MLB draft prospects they have in that lineup. But uh, he certainly uh, is is doing the things you would hope going into this series. Man, I've always said it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Smith, Lee, and Strickland combined to surrender just four runs in 17 innings in the regional. How confident is Kentucky when Mason Moore gets the ball? My gosh, he picks 10 scoreless innings in the regional. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, you can't do much better. I mean, the first game against Ball State, uh, they, they Smith went four innings, and then they handed it over to Moore, and he pitched the last five. Perfect, did not give up a base runner, only threw 50 pitches to get through five innings. And then he came back on Monday in the winner-take-all game against Indiana and threw the last five innings again. So he's just in a spot where he feels really, really good. I mean, he's been pretty dominant for most of the season. Ironically, the one hiccup he had was kind of in a two-week stretch. Uh, where in the LSU series he gave him a few runs and, and there was one perfect, uh, appearance then, and then the next weekend against Texas A&M uh, got hit around a little bit. But since then he's been really, really good. So I, a, a year from now he's probably going to be um, their Saturday starter behind Smith. Uh, but right now he's just such a valuable weapon in the pen that you know you can get four-plus innings out of him if, if he's feeling right. And so I, I think that's he's kind of an X factor for this team, him and Darren Williams both, because they're very similar in the way they use them out of the pen. Uh, if one of these starters starts to you know run into some trouble, uh, they will not hesitate at all just to hand the ball over to them and have them pitch the ball in the game. I'm always curious. I know, look, this is a win two out of three, um, and Kentucky had as much success as anybody against Paul Skeens this year. But I always take it in context. LSU was up by like uh, 13 runs when the Wildcats kind of did some damage. So the game was basically in hand. Skeen still struck out 13 batters in the game. He only walked one. A lot of teams take the approach. We're not going to throw our best picture against this dude. He might be the number one pick in the draft. We're going to save our best picture for LSU's number two. In a two out of three scenario, what do you do in in a situation like that? I'll be really interested to see what they do in, in game one strategy-wise because Kentucky was in that same boat that weekend at LSU. They, they just threw a bullpen game against him in game one. They started a guy who's – that's the only game he started all season. I think he gave up like eight, seven runs in an inning and a third or something like that. And, uh, he he didn't p- even pitch in the regional. There's really no chance that he'll pitch this weekend in the important inning. So 
Um, I don't know that you can afford to take that strategy, though, in a, in a best two out of three. The good news is uh, Kentucky has they won three elimination games in a row in the regional. They had to bounce back from the loser's bracket, so they know how to play with their backs against the wall. But I just, I, I just don't think you can afford to say we're we're giving up game one and going into right. the rest of the, right. the series knowing you have to win both games, especially because you know the weather might be a question on Saturday, and so you don't want to, you know, I, I know that was the LSU situation in the regional, right? When people said they should have thrown schemes in game two, but they knew that there might be rain and you might have lost them after you know an inning or two in the rain delay. So uh, Kentucky's going to be a similar boat. My guess is they just start Smith in game one. But maybe use him as an opener where you just hope to get through the the order one time and then hold it and then hand it over to one of your multi inning reliever guys. Yeah. But uh, Nick Mangion was not giving away any hints when we talked to him yesterday. Great strategy. We'll see. And that's exactly what happened to LSU with Ty Floyd pitching game two. Uh, he was doing great, three innings, and all of a sudden here comes the thunderstorm and he's done for the game. So, uh, boy, it's, that's where these managers, coaches, whatever, uh, earn their keep. We shall see. Um, Safe travels, and uh, it should be a really good series. I, I, you know, Kentucky's hot, man. They're playing hot. You, you said it. Their pitching's better, um, and they kind of cut you by a thousand cuts, right? They just nickel and dime and bunt and move people over and play baseball. So it, it's gonna. I think it's going to be a really good series. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I would have uh, when the bracket came out. I thought, oh, there's no chance that Kentucky can beat LSU. But you know, uh, I'm not. I still obviously I think would pick LSU to win this weekend, but I don't, I don't think it would be a shock if Kentucky came out of this, given the way they played really after the first four innings of that first game in the April series uh, for the rest of the weekend. And then, you know, the big question is, is what does LSU's pitching look like after schemes? You know, if yeah, Floyd is pitching away at the regional and, and keeps to get going, maybe maybe they just shut them down in two games and it's over quickly. But if, if the rest of the rotation struggles like they have at times, I think yeah. Kentucky's got a shot. Yeah, just uh, getting ready because it's uh, what they saw in April is going to be like you mentioned. It's going to be a whole new vibe come uh, come Saturday because this is uh, yeah, this is kind of a baseball crazy town, and they they take it very very seriously, like the Wildcats do in hoops, man. I'm telling, I'm going to say. Uh, but John, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy your stay in Baton Rouge if you're coming this way. Uh, but we greatly appreciate your uh, your help today. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. All right, buddy. John Hale with the Lexington Herald Leader. We know there'll be baseball at some point in time this weekend. Will there be a Belmont Stakes? Woo! Fires up in Canada. Putting this in a precarious spot. We'll talk about the Belmont next with Michael Bachock. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Bordelon's Furniture, a flat-screen TV from AVI, and more. But time is running out as the giveaway ends this Sunday. I've been talking about this for a month, it seems like. What's keeping you? Doesn't cost you a dime. Enter. You might win the ultimate man cave makeover. Powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we welcome you back. It's uh, 19 minutes after the hour, and I'm curious. It's the, the quietest secret out there. The third leg of the Triple Crown is supposed to be run Saturday at Belmont Park. Um, but is it going to be run? We've got wildfires in Canada, and they're closing things down left and right. So as per the norm, time to get our 2012 National Handicapping Championship winner, our thoroughbred horse racing expert, Michael Bakeshot, joins us yet again. Michael, good afternoon, sir. How are you been? Jory, I've been good. Very good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, except I can't pick a winning horse. I'm 0 for 2 <laughs> in these uh, big races, and I, I don't know what to do now. But uh, this is a serious issue, these um, wildfires in Canada. I saw where they shut down racing today at, at Belmont Park. I mean, are we going to have a horse race? I mean, I'm I'm not a weatherman. I'm a horse picker, uh, which is probably worse than a weather person, although I think on many days we compete for being uh, pathetic forecasters. But um, it does look like they're going to be able to run. The, the weather seems to be kind of clearing a little bit, but the you know, there's still going to be smoke in the area. They canceled, you know, the baseball games. And right. um, there's going to have to be some examinations by vets before they, horses run on respiratory issues. And it's definitely a concern. I mean, it's a, it's a real concern. Yeah. And if the winds change, um, you know, we, we, we could be looking at a, at a race that's postponed. But I think the chances are that they run it on Saturday afternoon. If they postpone it, do they make it up a week later, or is it just done? Well, they they postponed, uh, as you said, they they closed the track today, so there were uh, uh, quite a few stakes races run today, were supposed to be run, and they're going to move those to Sunday. So you know they could they could do whatever they wanted. I mean, they could okay. they could if if it looks better on Sunday, they could you know move it to Sunday, but. The, they need 48 hours because horses are administered medications or not administered medications gotcha. 48 hours before a race. So, um, you know, you need 48 hours to kind of give them a heads up, but sure. I mean, you could run it next week. Um, there was even talk of them moving it up to Saratoga where the weather was clear, you yeah. know, um, it's just, it's unprecedented for sure. This, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. I, I've been around racing for a long time and I've never heard of racing, uh, uh, canceled because of wildfires, um, even in California, right. I think, you know, where That's right. it must, uh, it, 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 I've never heard of that out there. Now, weather related issues. Sure. But, uh, yeah. wildfires. No, no. Michael Bakeshock, uh, kind enough to join us. All right, let's get to the race itself. All but one of the nine 2023 Belmont stakes horses have previously won a graded stakes race. And we get the Triple Crown debut of Forte, who uh, was the favorite, I think, in going into the Kentucky Derby, but had to scratch. So let's look at the field. Is this going to be a good race? I think it's going to be a great race. It's shaping up to be, a, you know, there's a lot of question marks, so that's good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, a, there's not a big favorite. So, you know, I think nearly every horse has a chance. Um, we're not going to see the Derby winner 
uh, here. He's, he's, you know, going to get some rest after his effort in the Preakness, which, uh, you know, I kind of, I think I said on air that uh, I was not a fan of his going into the Preakness and I thought he could get beat by three horses and, uh, one of those scratched and the other two ran first and second. So, but we do get the, we get to see Forte or Fork or whatever they pronounce it. Uh, he was going to be the Derby favorite. Um, he, he scratched due to a little hoof issue and they've been training up to this race. Now he hasn't run since April 1st. Um, he's only got two races this year. It's, you know, it's kind of a lot to ask, um, of a horse to go a mile and a half, which is even further than the Derby, which is a mile and a quarter. And so, you know, he's going to, it's a tall order for him to fill. And at a short price, it's just not. For me, it's not a horse that I'm looking to wager on. I'm actually looking to wager against. Uh, so he would be the favorite. But there's another horse trained by Todd Pletcher who's ha- had an awful lot of success at the Belmont over the last decade, and that is Tappet Trice. He also right. ran in the Derby. He ran yep. seventh. He did encounter a little bit of trouble, which you would expect in a field of 18. Um, but he ran, you know, he got beat nine lengths. Uh, he did close some ground early in the race and then flattened out, but he really was, you know, his bluegrass race back in April was a tough race. And I think it probably took a little bit out of him to come back in a 30 day period to run in the Derby, but I expect him that's tap it trice. Don't try to say that three times fast. Um, he's going to probably be three to one ish. And I think he would be, you know, he'll be my top pick in the race um, going for Todd Pletcher and ridden by Louis Saez. Now, you know, people are going to going to look at this quickly. I, I, I haven't been to seen a race that has tap it trice and tap it <laughs> shoes. So people are going to have to really look and say, okay, I'm going to bet on the, the two horse tap it trice instead of just seeing tap it and pick the one horse. It's going to be confusing. The two is tap it. Trice, which is three, right? The yes. pennies three to one. Yes. That's it is yes. confusing. There's no question. I mean, you don't like national uh, treasure. Yeah. You better you you just, like... just be paying attention. I mean, you got to pay attention. That's yeah. All. How come you don't like national treasure? I, I think the probably the same reason that I don't like um, that I, that I that I didn't like tap at Trice in the Derby is because. That race that he ran in the Preakness, which was, you know, a, a, a very, very strong race, it was a tough race. You know, he was head and head with Blazing Sevens the entire uh, length of the stretch. And I just feel like, you know, it's hard to come back um, him on three weeks rest to run a mile and a half, which might be a little bit out of his range of distance. Um, so I think he ran his race that day. That was the race they were really trying to win. Bob Baffert really wanted, you know, to get back in the triple crown with a bang, which he did. Um, and I just, I feel like the distance is going to probably be just a little bit too long for him. Now, Jordy, my, my derby pick angel of empire who ran third. That's who I was going to ask you here. about. And yeah, you know, people are asking like, Hey, how come you're not going back to your, you know, your derby pick, you were so high on. And, I mean, the thing is, you know, he had every opportunity to win that race. I mean, the pace was fast. It set up for him. He he got a pretty good trip. Um, he ran with, you know, Mage for a couple strides, and then Mage just got a little bit quicker than he did. And 
I just thought he got every opportunity to win going a mile and a quarter, and he couldn't do it. He almost looked like it was too long for him. Um, that was just my assessment. So, okay. you know, I don't like I don't like him coming back here. I think he was fully cranked for that race, and he couldn't get it done. And now they're putting blinkers on, which is you know that's going to yeah. keep him a little bit closer to the pace, which you need to be actually at the Belmont, but. I don't know. Maybe he just disappointed me so badly that I, I you know, I, I can't, I can't focus on him because he's he was such a disappointment to me in the Derby that I, I can't imagine coming back and getting beat with him again. But uh, certainly a horse that was... you know is going to be one of the favorites, and if he won, it would really not surprise me. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think I'll have him in much of my um, my exotic betting activity. I was about. I was about to text you saying you're a genius because Angel of Empire, man, he was like 16th um, as that race <laughs> unfolded. Then then he's up to 10th. Then he gets to third with about an eighth of a mile to run. And then all of a sudden he's a half a length behind two fills at the end. And I'm going, if this thing is the Belmont, he's going to pass him up and win it. So I, I don't know. I kind of like Angel of I know, Empire. But he didn't. But you're the expert. He didn't. He couldn't, he couldn't even catch two fills. You know, which the yeah. horse that was on the, you know, near or close to lead, which he should have gotten past two fields at least. And yeah. he just yeah. flattened out. And I just didn't, okay. I don't, I didn't like that at all. I just thought the distance might have got to him at the, at the last 16th of a mile. And, um, you know, I, I just, he's, look, he'll probably win because I'm talking bad about him. I, I can't. I'm not going to be betting on him at three to one. I mean, it was a different situation uh, going in the Derby when I had him at fifty-five to one in the future book. So, uh, but he's training well. Brad Cox, you know, actually, I actually like the other Brad Cox horse who also ran in the Derby. That's Hit Show. He's the seven horse. Um, he was a little bit closer to the pace. You know, I think he, yeah, he came out of the one hole, which is not a good position for the Derby. So he was, you know, in a little bit of tightness and um, he made a little bit of, of a move there, but um, he flattened out and ran fifth, but he was very close to that early, early, fast, early, fast, fast pace. And, you know, I've seen in prior years where horses, that's like a signal. If you're able to stick close to the fast pace in a derby and, you know, beat the horses that were far back, that signals that you're you got some quality to you, which is why I was hoping that two fields would come back here, because I he would have been my strong strong pick, but he didn't. Okay. So the next best choice for me to pick a horse that was close to that really fast pace and didn't really quit badly at all. He ran fifth. Is Hit Show, and I would not be surprised. Hit Show is my long shot. So um, okay. I. I I think Hit Show is very live at ten to one. He'll probably go off a little bit longer, and I just think he's going to be close to the pace. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Hit Show have the lead when they turn for home, and whether he can hold on to it with the closers, uh, I don't know. But I, I think he'll rate right off the lead, and I think he might have the lead when they turn into the stretch. So if you're betting my money, not your money, you bet my money. <laughs> just, just bet it all. Who you got? Tap it trice. If I'm Hitch if I'm betting your money, yeah, I'm betting probably, you know, exact is with Tap It Trice, Hit Show, and then a horse we did not talk about, uh, Archangelo, who won the Peter Pan, which which is at Belmont, going a mile and a an eighth. And that used to be like the premier prep race for the Belmont. You would run in the Peter Pan and then you would run in the Belmont and you usually had a really good shot. 
he looked really good winning the Peter Pan. Um, he's only had four starts. He's only won twice. But um, he looks like a horse that uh, can get, run all day and is also on the improve. And he's going to be a price, too. So I would probably box, tap it trice, Archangelo, and hit show and hope they come one, two somewhere in there. And I would probably end up betting uh hit show to win at a, at a good number at like, you know, 12, 12 to one or higher, something like that. Oh, I'm glad I take good notes. All right. If you get a text that's from your, me, Saturday, that's your money. Hopefully, now, I'll, I'll hopefully they'll totally be racing with my money. Well, I, well, you know, I'm not going to ask for that. <laughs> well, you, you can bet my money. That's, that's who's going to be betting anyway. True. So anyway. I'm betting. That's the way I'm going to bet that race. I'm, if, and, and if Tappet Trice happens to drift up, you know, past a three to one, you know, let's say seven to two, four to one, then I'll also bet Tappet Trice to win as well. But I'm not interested at three to one or less, but I'd be interested at, you know, four to one, somewhere around there. See, I, you're a good friend. I know you wouldn't steer me wrong and give me lemons. Come on. I know you're going <laughs> to give me the right ones. We're good. We're making lemonade on Saturday, I promise. <laughs> or we do, huh? Jeez, we do. <laughs> Michael yeah. Bakechuck, you're the best. Let's hope for a horse race. Uh, thank you as always, my friend. Take care. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jordan. All right. We'll take a time out here when we come back. Uh, he is uh, one of the nominees to enter the College Football Hall of Fame. Brady James, the former Tiger, joins us next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, know you love our shenanigans on and off the air. At least we hope you do. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana, and turn that bell on so you can get notifications when we post our new content and game recap. So go see more of our fun behind the scenes and after work mischief at the game, Louisiana on YouTube. Once again, that is at the game, Louisiana on YouTube. The Jordy Holberg show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 38 minutes after the hour, we welcome you back. We're efforting to get our next guest on who, um, Started off at Wasman High School, transferred over to West Monroe High School. Then he came to LSU, then got into the NFL, played for the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys. Now at 42 years old, Brady Jean James is on the ballot for the 2024 College Football Hall of Fame. Um, he played uh, LSU at a time when um, this was before the the, the great era began, um, but he was just a tremendous athlete. He was also tremendous in the classroom. Classroom. He holds the LSU single-season record for tackles with 154, ranks number two in school history in career tackles 
with 418. He was twice named first team All-SEC and earned first team All-American honors in 2002. In 2001, James helped lead LSU to the SEC championship, the first for the Tigers since the 1980s. Um, he was selected to the prestigious National Football Foundation Scholar-Athlete class in 2002, becoming only the eighth player in LSU history with that distinction. Uh, he graduated from LSU in May of 2003 with a degree in sociology. He was a fourth-round draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys in 2003. He spent 10 years in the NFL, appearing in 157 games. Great on the field, great off the field, and just a really good guy. We welcome in, uh, I always was a big fan of his, still am to this day, uh, Brady Gene James. Brady, good afternoon, sir. <laughs> hey man, what what's going on? What's go hey, you know, one 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 fun fact for trivia is I played in the NFL for ten years and now I've been done for ten years. It's amazing how, about that? how time how about has that? flown by. Yeah, it's I'm amazing how curious. time has flown by. And when just hearing you yeah. say that, I was like, Yeah, I think this is my tenth year being done or I've completed ten wow. years. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. I'm always wow. curious. The National Football Foundation that nominated you for their College Football Hall of Fame. How did you find out, and who did you find out from? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I found out uh, this week when everybody else, I guess, found out. And um, uh, somebody ended up texting me and said, hey, man, really? uh, I think I got it from Jarrell Myers. I think Jarrell really? Myers was the first person to tell me that I was nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame this year. I'll be darned. I thought somebody from the foundation would call you up and say, hey, congratulations, you're um, you're eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. But see, that's why I asked. I, I did not know. Um, I know hey, you're going to say no. Ho that was hey, hopefully, hopefully that's uh, – you know, we don't breach confidentiality and I can slide in. That's <laughs> We can slide in. That's probably why they didn't reach out to me. <laughs> I love it. Hopefully you will get that phone call later on in the process. It says, welcome to the club. Yeah, that's the one that matters. That's the one that really, like, really, really matters. So, but yeah, I, I, I would say, however, I'm grateful. It's an awesome uh, experience to be mentioned and to, um, you know, just be regarded in that light, you know, just playing ball, like me playing ball and why I'm a Tiger is what we're missing in today's game. You know, I'm from Louisiana. Yep. Um, I had opportunities to go to different places. Um, I started seeing different guys on our recruiting trips that I was reading about, and I was like, goodness, like Dominic Davis, who is now – uh, Mr. Williams and Trail Falk and Demetri Hookfin and Norman Lejeune. Like I would, I would go on these recruiting trips and these guys would be with me. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Hey, what if we just stayed in state? What? How can we build something special?" And everybody awesome. kind of, you know, looked LeBrandon Tofield. Like yep. he would be at all. I mean, we we were going to the same schools and. Before I know it, every, it was like a consensus. Everybody was like, yeah, man, we should stay in state. We should, we should try to unify. Because the great Peyton Manning had left. He went to Tennessee. 
Ray Not Thompson. Uh, Thomas had left. Uh, Ward Dunn, he left. Uh, Eric Reed left. You know, um, those those places were were really hotbed spots for uh, Louisiana at that time, especially yeah. Louisiana players. And That's so, talent. you know, to galvanize and to bring guys in, like it's one of my, I would say, it's one of my greatest accomplishments because we were able mm-hmm. to set the foundation. And continue to propel LSU and to make it a nationally recognized program, which all of us wanted to do. Yeah, and, and mission accomplished. I did not know that you were the secret recruiter. Um, <laughs> I got to go talk to LSU and get you some of that NIL money, man. Come on. Jeez, Brady James oh, did man. so uh, much. You, we started talking NIL in today's time, man. Goodness. Wow. It's, uh, it's good to have NIL. Um, and, you know, you have some people that are, you know, against it, that may fight against it. However, it's, it's really our reality is our new reality. One That's of the right. things, in my opinion, with collegiate sports is we have to put these – got to start putting some parameters on this transfer portal. Thank you. Um, because, Thank you. because every year it cannot be uh, a new team. And then, again, I go back to my reasons of being a Tiger and me – why, you know, why, why, what, what makes LSU LSU is because I'm from there. And to have a group of people to be native, like, it's not my home now because of life and different things that have happened in my life. However, mm-hmm. I always regard it as the place where I'm from. You know, it's just what it is. Yeah. And so when, when you start doing this transfer portal, you eliminate the number one thing that you learn when you get to school, and that's you are a student athlete. You're not an athlete student. You are a student right. athlete. And so yep. it creates this, this whole paradigm of, yeah, I'm going to get some money right now, but if you don't get educated, you don't have the information, you don't get this degree, how can you keep this money or build from it? Because, again, I have I played in the NFL for ten years, but I've been done for ten years. And That's right. in order for and us you're still to a you're a young man. That, yeah, yeah, we're young. You're a young person. So in order for us to get past, you know the you know the broke, you know people always talk about oh after you get out of playing ball, you know guys go broke. Well, guess what? That's guess right. what's gonna happen after they get out of college? That you you're supposed to be broke when you're in college, but after That's you get exactly out of college, right. you gonna go broke. And then you think you're going to make the same amount of money that you're making in college in the pros? And then you Uh -uh. still, and if you can't, uh, you know, balance that budget or keep up with that budget, man, you got some problems on your hands. I'm with you. I always remember Brady James um, talking to you and and and, and interviewing you. And I always remembered saying to myself afterwards, this dude's got his head on straight. He's more than just football. And so, for those that don't know, what is Brady James doing now 10 years after football <laughs> came to a screeching halt? <laughs> well, I've, I've tried multiple things. Um, I was raised to be well-rounded. Um, yeah. You know, I come from a two-parent household, and my mom and dad, they didn't play. It didn't. When it came down to school, they figured yeah. if I could compete on the field, I need to bring that same energy in the classroom, and I tried to do that. Um, however, as we fast forward to today's time, right now I have a research company, 
And what we do is we research and study inflammation and pain management in people's wow. bodies. What people don't yeah. realize is inflammation is the pathway to disease. And yep. unfortunately and fortunately, um, I have played uh, a very physical sport. And over time, the wear and tear, different things that you have to do to go out there and play when everybody else is at holiday time eating turkey or they're watching you play. You know, you want to be out there eating turkey too, but it's hard. You know, consistently and the grind that, you know, a physical sport puts on your body. Now, mentally, you know, it's one thing, but physically you have to live with this body that you have been gifted. And so – you take some bumps and bruises. And so my idea now is how do we have a better quality of life? You know, I, I get that we, 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 we played and we, pay, and, and we got paid. However, you yeah. still want to have – you want to maximize your quality of life. And so, yes. you know, having a research um, like company and I just got published. Um, I've, I have some other writings that are starting to come out. So it's 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 been it's just been curiosity because I want to know the That's truth, awesome. not yeah. not just for other people, but also other athletes, other young Brady Jameses that are out there. Wow, Brady James um, on the ballot for the 2024 College Football Hall of Fame. I know that was the furthest thing from your mind when you were playing. I was always curious. You don't see many linebackers with number eleven. Where, where, where'd that come from? <laughs> well, that that's a great question. The great LeVar Arrington at Penn State uh, yeah. got a chance to see him personally on one of the recruiting visits, and he had this kind of, you know, receiver number, and his number was 11. And so okay. when I, I said if I got the chance and if I got to college, I would want to not just be the prototypical inside linebacker, outside linebacker. I want to be, you know, an athlete and go out there and I needed a number that could show that I was just more than a one-position kind of guy. And so that's where the number 11 came in. I chose that number because I didn't want to be a prototypical linebacker defensively. I love it. I love it. Brady James with us. I know you're going to say your mother and father, but take them out of the equation who was uh, that other person that was so valuable to you from a from a mentorship role? It taught you the sport, taught you the position. Who's the guy? If, if you had to give that speech, who would you credit? Oh man, it's it's tough. Um, I think if I look back to you know outside of my parents, um, I have brothers, and it okay. took me all the way till I was about seventeen to be my brother's size. So. Um, (laughs) they taught me a lot about the sport. If I fast forward during college, in retrospect, as I think about it, you know, Verge Osbury was a great mentor. Like, he would come to me, especially when I got to be a junior. Like, when I got to be a junior, I I would see Verge in a different light. And the stuff that he would tell me, like, I'd have to be in the mood for it, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we're young and you know, you don't know. I mean, I was the guy. I didn't know right. if I needed to, you know, a lot of people are talking to you. Well, Burry used to come in and give me, like, precise 
like information, not like my coach, but like precise information about the position. And you know, fast, you know, as I as I look back, I mean, he he did play linebacker, he did play on the defensive yep. side of the ball, so yep. it was like he was always kind to you know. He would tell me to use my hands. I'm like, use my hands? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm getting ready to run past this guy and tackle the guy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why am I using my yeah. hands? But when I got to the NFL, you couldn't run. I couldn't run past a lot of people, <laughs> especially when you get older. <laughs> you had to use yeah. your hands. You had to use your leverage. You had to use, like, your body. And there's no, there's no doubt and no question why uh, his kids uh, are – you know, the number one linebacker from last year, defensive player from last year. Like, he he is precise in the way and his delivery is if it's not appreciated, then people should listen to if he if 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 I'm a young player in LSU's locker room right now and I'm not worrying about, you know, if this person is old and, you know, new or whatever mm-hmm. it is. If if Verge Osbury comes in there and give one of those inside linebackers, outside linebackers, defensive players, any nugget, they should they should just grab it. That's awesome. Brady James, I cannot congrat I cannot thank you enough for your time. Hopefully you will be permanently, think about this now, permanently immortalized at the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. We'll know later in 2024. But just an honor to be nominated. I, I, man, one of the all-time best at LSU. Continued success in your research, and uh, you're always welcome on our show. We love having you, man. I'm so happy hey, for one, you. One, so one, proud. One of thing you. I can say about that—that that would be great. However, on my side, I'm I'm in the Hall of Fame in the greatest state that's yeah. known for producing. Football players, athletes, uh, students, uh, scholars, and that's LSU. I am in the LSU Hall of Fame. And so that is one of my greatest accomplishments. And if I'm able to uh, get the nod for uh, college football, that would be great too. However, nothing compares to LSU. Go Tigers. We'll end it on that. We'll end it. Well said, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Brady James. We'll be back to wrap things up next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And our partner, ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, Ducks, Eon, Louisiana Lottery, DC's Little Capital Exxon, Dumpco, and Cajun Shop. All right, time to wrap things up. If today, June 8th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share yours with part of the National Championship LSU women's basketball team. Alexis Morris is 24 years young today. Thanks to Matthew Bruni, Frank Schwab, John Hale, Michael Bakeshock, Brady James. What a fun-filled show it was Tomorrow, the regular Friday crowd shuffles in. We'll make predictions. We'll have a lot of fun. So come on back and join us. Until then, I'm Jordy Hultberg. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can in your power to stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another. And please, please be happy. Coming up next, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
Have a great afternoon, everybody. So long.